Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our reading of Matthew. My name is Rick Meiring, and I'll be reading from Matthew 14, 1 through 21. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl, who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. Okay, well, there is a lot going on in this passage, so let's take a look. I personally grew up uh going to church and attending a Christian school, so I've likely heard this story over a dozen times. And I would say that the general practice for most of us back then was to avoid the icky parts of the Bible, like a beheading of John the Baptist, and to simply file the second part into the category of miracles of Jesus and move along to the next chapter. But I have to wonder if Matthew here is offering us much more in this story, and so I want to look briefly at the context of the story and to read it with a fresh set of eyes. The theologian Dallas Willard said, Familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. He was saying this in regards to our reading of the acts and words of Jesus, and how we can go through the motions of a story so often that we presume we can know everything about the passage, that we end up missing what the scripture has to offer us each new day in a fresh way. Our familiarity leads to unfamiliarity. So let's look with fresh eyes at what is going on here. Okay, Herod the Tetrarch, he's Herod Antipas, and he was basically assigned by the Roman Empire and Caesar Augustus to oversee the area of Galilee. And he had a real mess on his hands when John the Baptist came to town. Herod had visited his stepbrother, Herod Agrippa, only to fall in love with Agrippa's wife and decides to divorce his own wife to be with her, Oh, and it turns out Herodias is also his niece. 
Now, John the Baptist was in his territory, baptizing people in the Jordan River, preaching the law, and paving the way for his cousin Jesus. When John the Baptist came across Herod's situation, which was one of many terrible, inappropriate relationships in this family, John basically said, uh, you can't do that. Herod says, who says so? And John is like, um, the Jewish law, God, just basic common decency. So what do you do when someone is gaining a following for preaching the good news of repentance and redemption in your area that you're trying to show the Romans you have under control? What do you do when you have a large amount of power and wealth and someone is calling out your greed and lust publicly? You make them go away. You lock them up. Herod did exactly that with John the Baptist for two years, not knowing what to do with him and not daring to stir the people. So he proceeds to have a birthday party and show off till the point comes that his wife's daughter, Salome was her name, has the audacity and evil power in herself to ask for John's head on a platter, basically to vindicate her mother's poor choice, and he does it. He holds off for two years, and when his so-called good name is challenged before his dinner guests, he is willing to do this to John to save good face at a dinner party. What a tragic disregard for human life. If you sit in it, the anger, sadness, and feelings of injustice can just boil up inside of you. This is that moment in the Hollywood action film where the good guy gears up on all the ammo to go settle the score so everyone can go home feeling happy at the end of the movie. But we all know Jesus was at work showing us a whole new way to live. Now, this first half of the story all took place in Herod's hilltop palace called Machaerus, near the southern part of the Dead Sea in modern-day Jordan. And Jesus is up the Jordan River, just over 100 miles near the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the Jordan River connects the two seas. This is like going from Saugatuck to Ludington by foot, or camelback, I suppose. But it likely took several days, if not a week, for the word to get to Jesus about John. And what does Jesus do? Does he gather up an army to go lay siege on Herod? Does he rise up as the military leader that some thought he would be? No. He retreats to a quiet place to mourn the grotesque loss of his cousin. He likely weeps over his death as well as comes to terms that John is gone now and he is on his own now to carry the good news forward and the people are ready for him. If he is in a boat going up the Jordan River towards Bethsaida and the Sea of Galilee, town after town hear about the news of John and Jesus and begin to follow him along the shore. And they say it is 5,000, but that is only counting the men. Side note, for the year 2022, let's be done counting just the men, how about? Because even if half of these men were married or there were single women and children, the feeding of the 5,000 could be a lot closer to what? 7,000? 9,000? Certainly you could put a solid revolt of an army together with five to 9,000 people. But Jesus begins healing those in need. And when his disciples say, Ah, enough. Let them go find their food. Jesus says, No. You feed them. This reminds me very much of Peter's voice throughout the Gospels. And this whole story in Matthew 14 feels like a solid foreshadowing of what we can learn from Peter's posture in Jesus' final days. 
when Jesus is confronted to be apprehended during Holy Week later in the Gospels, Peter is the protective aggressor and gets out his sword only to cut off a Roman soldier's ear. I can just picture Jesus' face here like, uh, bro, why'd you go and do that? Can we just take it easy here? And Jesus heals the ear of his aggressor. Peter is caught up with the injustice of it all and wants to resort to violence and the law of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and apparently an ear for an ear. Jesus repeatedly shows over and over, no, I am doing a new thing. Pay attention. Later in Peter's journey with Jesus, they are chatting back and forth about the level of Peter's love and loyalty to Jesus. And Jesus asks him over and over, do you love me? Yes, 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 is Peter's reply. And Jesus says, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Jesus is making clear to Peter that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you don't have to get out your sword to defend him. And you don't need to profess it from the rooftops with words upon words. You might just need to break bread and offer what you have to those in need. And that's exactly what Jesus does in response to the death of his cousin. He says, we'll feed the people. And now for the miracle. I don't know what I can say about five loaves of bread and two fish feeding some 7,000 plus people. Do I believe that that and that alone may have happened in some way, shape, or form that can't be explained? Absolutely. Jesus' whole life was filled with miracles. Case in point, see the next podcast where Jesus walks on water. And the fact that we can follow his ways some 2,000 years later and it create healing in our lives and in others is a true miracle. I am not here to dismiss the miraculous ministry and power of Jesus. But in talking with some friends about this, a few curious what-ifs came up that provided a whole different perspective for me. What if the small act of faith and generosity out of the disciples to trust Jesus that this food would go a long way inspired those who were there to also act generously? People got to witness Jesus and his disciples offering what they had, avoiding any sense of scarcity mentality, and simply sharing feeding the people? What if it was so eye-opening and beautiful that those who saw it couldn't resist but act the same with what they had? What if the feeding of the 5,000 was more like the greatest picnic or potluck you've ever seen? When I consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I can't comprehend what it looks like for me to be doing miracles day in and day out. But what I can wrap my head around is being willing to act on the small nudges from Jesus or the Holy Spirit to live generously and offer what I have. And if I can do that, Jesus takes it and says, watch what I can do with that. You may act on a small nudge of generosity and look up to see Jesus has fed over 5,000 with that small act because it inspired others to do the same. When you look around at our world today, it can be so daunting to know how to act in the face of evil that is as bad as John the Baptist's head on a platter. It is overwhelming to say the least, particularly in the last two years. But Jesus reminds us that we do not need to pick up our sword. We do not need to posture to let everyone know how great our love is. And we do not need to save our food for ourselves. 
We simply need to live generously and maybe have a potluck every once in a while. I like the way one of my favorite writers, Henry Nouwen, put it. For Jesus, there are no countries to be conquered, no ideologies to be imposed, no people to be dominated. There are only children, women, and men to be loved. Thanks for listening, Watermarkers, and may the kingdom of heaven be like the greatest potluck ever, where all bring what they have and we enjoy a miraculous meal together. Thanks.